You're listening to Real Talk for Real Men, episode number five. Welcome to the Real Talk for Real Men podcast. Lifestyle advice for men so powerful, you'll want to run your life on it. And now your hosts, Guy Mullen and Chris Field. Welcome back to Real Talk for Real Men. I'm Guy Mullen and I'm back with Chris Field. Welcome, Chris. Hi, Guy. It's great to be back at this again. Well, today we don't have a third person to interview. I've just got Chris here to interview. Da, 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 which da, da, is, da. I shouldn't just say just <laughs> because, uh, because, because Chris, you've, uh, you've actually been around the traps a little bit. You've been on TV, you had a TV show and a radio show. And uh, you're also a publisher. We're going to talk about some of your books, one of your books in particular at the moment, in a moment. But um, tell us a little bit about that, that background. Well, I, I had discovered when I was a kid that I had a voice that people identified as a radio voice, television voice. And so that, with a bit of prompting, I thought I'd like to get it trained and get into the industry. So over the years, I've had the pr- privilege of being a radio host, a radio newsreader, television newsreader, television host. Uh, I've been a presenter on a variety of different programs, but particularly because of wanting to use that uh, talent within the kingdom of God and for the benefit of people. A number of years ago, I I created my own Christian television program, uh, which we called Living Word. It was broadcast in the city of Melbourne in Australia, and it ran for about 14 years, and it was on a particular community television network. And I think by the time I finished, I was Australia's most experienced uh, television producer and presenter in the community television sector. So it was quite a lot of fun and uh, really glad to have had the impact of doing that. Uh, Yeah, and with all that, of course, uh, traveling the world, teaching seminars, sharing, ministering, preaching, um, I guess I've had a lot of time communicating with people. And I like to think that when I am sharing something, that's at least of some value to somebody. Hmm. And so here today, we're here to talk about about one of the books that you've written, it's called Manhood Horizons. It's part of the Horizons series. And uh, the subtitle for that is Being a Man's Man in God's World. So we're going to explore that a little bit, uh, what, that, what that means. So this, the series of Horizons. What is, what is Horizons? Where does all that come from? When I think of Horizons, I think of a terrible movie I saw once. <laughs> Starring Sam Neill. Maybe Neal. that's why the books don't sell so well. <laughs> Starring Sam Neill, which scared the pants off me. But Manhood Horizons, what, uh, what's, that, what's that about? I, I came across a, a, a thought process many, many years ago about how the fact that each of us actually have our own set of horizons. And I, I like the example that I made up was imagining a, a, a migrants arriving on a ship into a country, into a big city, maybe New York or Sydney or someplace around the world, they've arrived from a third world environment and they've all arrived at the same age. Let's say they're all 26 years old and they've all got a hundred bucks in their pockets. So they're all very level uh, and one would expect that they're all at the same starting point and they're all going to head to the same destination. But in fact, they all end up in very, very different locations and it's based on their own personal horizon. And let me explain what I mean by that. One of the guys gets off the boat And he knows the most important thing for him to find is food. And so he hunts around to that part of town where there are the most restaurants or hotels. And he looks into the bins out behind those hotels and recognizes that he's probably going to be able to get a consistent feed from the scraps in those bins regularly if he can just stay in that vicinity. So his horizon is dictated by his belly and by what he can scrounge, what he can can lift out of the bins. 
And one of the other men might decide that, in fact, uh, he's going to get a job somewhere, he's going to work hard, and he, he'll, he might advance to becoming a foreman or something or other. So he goes out looking for which part of the city there's the, the most amount of industry and factories and places where he might be able to get employment. So he has a different horizon, and it leads him in a different direction. He goes and looks for different things, because inside his head he's actually got a different personal horizon about where he wants to be, what he'd like to see happening in the next 10 years, where he would like to be for his wife and his kids or whatever else. The third guy walks around the town and he finds the most illustrious business building there is in town, you know, the highest one with the the, the most impressive uh, businesses operating there and stands on the footpath looking up and he says to himself, one day my office will be on the top floor. Mm -hmm. Now that guy just has a completely different horizon again. Mm -hmm. Now, That guy may not get to have a business on the top floor of the most impressive building in town. And the guy that went out to look for work in a factory may end up running his own small business or anything could happen. And the guy who's gone to the bins may end up in a different situation to what you would think. But that horizon that each of them carries is going to have a profound impact on where they start, where they look, and most likely where they end up. Now, that translates then into every area of our life as as people, and and I use the term here, manhood horizons. If my idea of my horizon is one day I'm going to have a a pool table out in the garage and I'm going to invite my friends around and we're just going to have a bloke's man cave uh, and and the kids will be off my hands and and the missus will, will make me cups of tea, well, that's my horizon. When I look out as far as I possibly can, that's the ridge that I can see. Uh, But if I turned around and had a different horizon, that in three generations from now, every one of my descendants will be serving the Lord in powerful ministry, that they'll all be well-established financially, that they'll all be mature, responsible citizens. God will be able to take them around the world and use them in any way he wants to. Well, that's a very different horizon. Uh, For some people, their horizon is that that they might even just, you know, live another 10 years because just surviving with health or all the other troubles that they're facing... Uh, their horizon might be just survival. What I wanted to do in the book then was to challenge people to reconsider in their own heart and mind what were their horizons and uh, could they, would they maybe change their horizon, look above that first ridge at the line of mountains or hills behind that or lift up your sight even more Mm -hmm. to the mountain peaks beyond that. Uh, maybe lift up your your eyes to the stars and wonder just what your horizon could be if you could get there or to the moon. And that concept of horizons then became a kind of a grid for me. So when I did parenting book, it was Parenting Horizons, my general book on family, family horizons, uh, manhood horizons, uh, marriage horizons, so that I could challenge people in every area of these relationship uh, and personal responsibility focuses to actually think about what their horizon is and how that might be translating back into the way they live, what their expectations are, where that goes. So is that similar to vision or is it slightly different? Probably it is, yes. I I guess it would have to be very similar. Um, We would have a vision for ourselves that one day we'll be successful, so it becomes a horizon. And it's not necessarily a tangible horizon that we can see, but it's inside us. Mm -hmm. It's driving us to say that's where I want to be. Yeah. Yeah. I think, too, unfortunately, I've talked to young men over the years that have had some pretty uh, wonderful visions. You know, I'm going to be a millionaire by the time I'm 40, or I'm going to this, I'm going to do that. You find that it becomes kind of like a vain imagination that the Bible talks about. It's not really something real. 
Uh, and so I'm, I'm concerned about that which can be translated into reality. You've got reality. to have a practical pathway oh, as to how yeah. you're going to get there. Yeah, and, and what your expectation needs to be something that's worth getting, there, you know, something realistic. My brother years ago uh, had come across someone talking about if you believe God, anything's possible, and he told me that he, was, he wanted a Maserati, and that's what he was praying, praying for, you know. And we often teased him, each other about that in years uh, rolled past. It was just obviously pure wishful thinking on his part that if, if he could twist the arm of God, he'd get God to give him a sports car. Um, but our horizons actually have to be things that we can submit before God and say, yeah, is that appropriate? And you feel that God is indeed uh, agreeing that that's a thing for us to do. Mm. Okay, so with, with this book, Manhood Horizons, now I'm guessing this is particularly about men and what is their vision for their, their manhood, for their life. For Absolutely. And I think that manhood, like any, anything that's to do with our life, um, ends up being multifaceted, right? So, for instance, Guy, uh, you're a businessman. You've been really quite successful, very expert in your field, but you're also a husband and you're also a father and you're also a Christian leader and now you're a communicator and you're, you're speaking to the world. So all those different hats become different facets of who you are and you actually probably have a different horizon for, for relevant to each of those different aspects of who you are. And so... In our lives, we have a natural horizon, for instance, uh, the owning our own home, you know, the financial circumstances we'll be in, uh, how well we might relate to our kids and our wife in the future, our great-grandkids, um, the natural things that anyone who's alive would expect. But along with that come those things that might be spiritual horizons, things that are targets and objectives that, that involve the kingdom of God. And not just how much money we have or how good our career is or how big a car we drive. And so we need to think about our horizons uh, across a bit of a spectrum of areas of our life where we might need to to rethink. And hey, I've got nothing against people having really clear ideas about how to make their life work, their practical realities work out well. The diligent person is going to be better off than the the lazy person. And so whether they actually... uh, become a prophet or, or, or just simply hold down a good job. It's good that people have disciplines and ambitions and clarity about achieving things. In fact, let me tell you a story. When I was uh, preaching on television in Melbourne, uh, I had no idea, of course, who was watching. And one day I was uh, into a, a supermarket. And as I walked around the, the, the aisles, I saw a young fellow uh, looking at me. And I, I knew that he was recognizing me. And I figured that was probably from the TV. And so uh, he kept an eye on me in the store and, and I got out, bought my stuff and, and got out through the checkout and was heading to my, my car and he came running out behind me and he, he said, Chris, Chris. And I turned around and he said, oh, it is you, isn't it? And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of figured he was sort of identifying me and he came up and he said, I've got to shake your hand. He said, you've completely changed my life. Now that was pretty good. You'd love to hear that, right? I thought, whoa, wow. And so uh, I, I said, how, how did that happen? What, tell me about it. He said, well, one day, he said, uh, you were just talking in your television show and I was watching and you made some comment uh, out of the New Testament about how we have to give honor to our boss. And he said, you know what? He said, I've never, ever done that. Um, I can see the faults in my bosses and I rock up to them and tell them that they're a jerk and 
they all seem to decide I don't belong there anymore. I can do their job better than them. <laughs> and, uh, and when I heard your message, it just challenged me that, that it wasn't my job to tell the boss off. Yeah. See, some people must be thick. But anyway, he was pretty impressed by that. Yeah. He said, I want you to know that I actually uh, respected my boss in the job that I had from that moment on. He said, I've kept that job for five years. He said, my wife is really, really thrilled that now I've got consistency, now I've got stability, now we're actually getting regular income instead of me losing my job all over again. Mm. So in a very natural sense, just in terms of his natural horizon, he's able to achieve so much more after that. And I said, oh, well, then what church do you go to? Oh, you never get me into a church, he says. And I thought, well, what a shame that, I, that he wasn't as impacted by the Christian material that I was sharing. But I was just so thrilled that there's out there there's some happy young wife with a bunch of kids that have been Yeah, well, the story's, the story's not finished at that point. Well, it isn't, absolutely. You don't know yes. what's happened since then. So yes. you might have reflected on more of what, you've, what you said. But, you know, when you, when you look in, in Amazon, you do a search on manhood, you'll find 20 pages of resources of just searching for the word manhood. So. Yeah, and a lot of that has some pretty sus connotations. <laughs> yeah, it probably is. I didn't go past the first oh, you didn't page. Go, wise move. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so what possessed you to, to write this book, Manhood Arises? I think uh, for me, uh, as a man, I have been very much challenged about my lack of manhood, about the absence of real manhood in our culture, Western culture today, uh, in uh, perceiving what is the divine scope for real men, if they could actually be real men. I'm really, that's why I'm really excited to be able to be assisting you on this project as we look to really help men become real men uh, 24-7. And so to see this um, uh, subject as something that really is, is a part of my thinking on a daily basis, it's, just, it, it's my personal challenge. And mm. maybe I should go back and just tell you how that came to be in focus for me. I was pastoring a church. I was married, had about three, four, I don't know, maybe five kids by then. I'm not sure. You lose count. I think you said five in the book. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, uh, I, uh, in the, this little church, I decided that I'd like to run a marriage seminar. And I thought, I could probably do this myself. But I thought, well, I'll get an, a, an outside speaker. And people always mm. always seem to think the outside speaker is, is yeah, more authority than that. It's always better the, if they've travelled a long <laughs> way. Yeah, that's right. So I've got an expert in and this guy was well recommended, a nice fellow. And we had a Friday night program. It was going to be then the program all day Saturday. A Friday night was, was abysmal. I, there, were, there were, I don't know, 14 or 20 people that attended. It was really under-attended. And he didn't seem to have any sparkle about anything he was saying. It was just very banal and mundane. And I thought, goodness me. But I thought, well, I've got to go back and I've got to sit there on the front row and you know look interested for the sake of, of, of the congregation and, and uh, the fact that I've invited this guy to come and speak. And uh, mid-morning, as he was rambling along, he, he made a statement. And honestly, if he'd walked across and kicked me in the guts, uh, he, he, he wouldn't have got my attention any more than he did just by that one line he just dropped on me. And I mean, he was talking to everyone else. I don't know whether people could see the blood drain out of my face and <laughs> see the impact that it had on me. But he made the statement that... Uh, in the Garden of Eden, Adam abdicated his authority and that uh, as a result, men have uh, not really had authority ever since. Now, I don't know that that's a completely true statement, but it was just, a, he put it out there and it was very, very pertinent to me 
because I knew that I was a man with zero authority. Oh, I, I could, I could play, pull rank, I could be the pastor, I could tell people what to do, but in my gizzards, in my internal self, I did not have authority. And I hadn't consciously abdicated, I just didn't have it. What, what, do, you, what do you mean you didn't have authority? you mean you didn't have authority at home, didn't have authority at work? Particularly, authority I would, with what? I would have said particularly yourself. in my marriage. Right. And that was where I was feeling it. So I found that, um, however that you would identify how it came about, um, my wife was always thinking in advance, always planning, always very detailed and, and, and good at, at, at thinking ahead. And so she was forever pitching to me ideas about things that uh, she had thought about, which I hadn't thought about. Oh, Chris, I've been thinking about this, and it seems that maybe what we should do is that. And I'd be suddenly confronted with a thought process and, and a set of reasonably clear options that she'd set out. And I'd find myself thinking, look, I, didn't, I don't know that we really want to go down that road, but I don't know that I really want to um, tackle her. I don't know that I really want to say no to her. And I struggled um, in being able to say, hey, I'm running this home. Uh, and if you've got some suggestions, let's just, you know, this is going to be a discussion. Stop preempting me. Stop making these decisions, half making them for me. Uh, not that she was doing it in any way unkindly, but it was just, I recognized that, that um, in many a situation, I just found myself cornered into something I didn't really want to do uh, because I actually didn't have the internal strength or, or, or sense of, of personal authority to turn around and say, no. So you just wanted to keep the peace? I think that was very much the case. Mm. And I think I was very much afraid of upsetting my wife. I mm. think that was um, areas possibly of insecurity. Um, probably a lot went into it. But what happened for me on that day was I just had to go aside and say, God, I haven't got any authority. And I don't want to stay this way. I actually want to, to become a man who is a man, uh, not a man who is some excuse for something else. You know, So I... I prayed and, and I recognized that I needed to, uh, to actually be able to, to not be afraid to say no to my wife, uh, not that I needed to argue with her, but, but to actually sort of try and clear a bit of space for me to find my own room to be the man that I needed to be. Mm-hmm. And so on one particular occasion, Susan came along and said, oh, um, Chris, I've been thinking about such and such. We haven't been to see this family member or that whatever. And I was thinking the best opportunity is going to be at this time and, 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 and uh, it's, you know, it might be good to buy the tickets and, and start making the payments. You know, always way off in, in advance. Uh, I understand that women like security and they like to know that everything's properly provided for. And I'm, in, she's a good planner. and I'm incredibly spontaneous. I'd, I'd like yeah. to think that if there was a really good price the day before, I'd like to have gotten it, not to have paid twice that much three months in advance. Uh, and of course, you're hardly ever going to get that last-minute bargain. But it was the it was the Money lure of me staying spontaneous. And in this particular instance, that I don't know the details at all. It's been so long ago now. But I remember uh, saying to Susan, "No, I don't think we should do that." And sort of almost this sort of shock, like, "Where did that come from? I haven't heard that from Chris before." Mm. And uh, she said, "Well, well, why not?" And I said, "Well, actually, I haven't had time to think about it. I, I, I don't want to." to have this discussion about this until I've had time to, 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 to think about it. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, now, I was struggling in myself to at least have, have deferred the decision, mm-hmm. but I was also very irresponsible. And so 
about two weeks later when Susan piped up and said, well, what did you decide? <laughs> My next question was, about what? <laughs> I couldn't. And she then reminded me that I had told her that I needed time to think about it. And I hadn't thought about it at all. Yeah. Uh, so that, that was also showing up part of the problem. That it wasn't just that I wanted to have uh, responsibility and authority. There were things inside me that automatically disqualified me from really being able to hold those things. So the journey um, wasn't just a matter of raising a flag and saying, hey, I want to be boss around here. It was actually earning the right to be able to take responsibility and to to be um, a responsible leader in the situation. So uh, that was the beginning, the the really clumsy beginnings of a journey of me sort of praying and saying, God, I I don't want to be the way I am. I don't even know how I got to be the way I am, but, but I don't... I couldn't even define how I am, but I don't like being this way. Mm. And my horizon then began to form. You know, there was a sense of horizon. I have to move away from here to some place where I could actually be proud of the fact that I'm a man and people actually respect me as someone who actually does have authority and and can be trusted, who won't make some promise, I'll think about it and then forget about it. And so all of this culminated in the the, um, uh, moving me forward and I must say altogether terribly slowly, and I would say here as well, I didn't have any mentoring uh, in our culture in Australia. Uh, In the generation I was growing up, mentoring wasn't a a, a good idea. It wasn't a keen idea. It wasn't something people knew much about or thought about. But I think there was also a very high level of arrogance uh, in manhood in my generation, which was, if I have to go to you for help, I'm admitting that I'm weak. Mm. So even if I am weak, I still won't go to you, mm. to you for help because I don't want to admit it. Yep. And so with all the pride and, and vanity and stupidity of that, that equation, uh, we were not getting the help that we actually needed. Mm. And, and there weren't people providing it. There, there weren't podcasts like what you're doing here for yep. people to listen to. Yep. So most of my forward movement, I describe it as stumbling forward. I mm. found that uh, uh, I would have an attempt at something. It would be clumsy. I would stumble. But by the time I found my footing again, I'd realized I'd stumbled forward. And so at least I'd made some progress. And uh, uh, over the years, in a number of different ways, in a number of different ad- adventures, I found myself really just um, praying, trusting God, asking Him for His help, and meeting each situation with what limited resources I had and try to learn as the, the dust cleared, something that might have helped me move forward. Mm. And I think, what a terrible way to live. What a terrible way to, to, to run a business. What a terrible way to run a family. What a terrible way to be. But unfortunately, my culture and, and my own personality set me up for, for that kind of clumsy and, and really quite inefficient journey. Yeah, so speaking, speaking of culture, one of the key concepts in the early part of your book is that you talk about how the culture defines natural man mm-hmm. what is the man his roles and uh, and as society changes then what society says as a man also changes and that has consequences absolutely you know i, I was very impressed years ago by weldon hardenbeck's book uh, and he, he lists a number of different stereotypes of the sort of the 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 uh, macho hero kind of guy the the, the wimp and so on uh, but I, I recognise, as you've just said, it's not just that there are certain stereotypes or certain models in place at any one point in time. They are morphing over mm. time as well. Mm. And one of the real serious challenges I think that we have as Western men 
is that the level of feminism in our society, when I say feminism, I don't mean radical, uh, rabid feminism, but just the underlying tone of a suspicion about any man who tries to be uh, anything other than a, than a really polite, cooperative gentleman, uh, is, is, is ubiquitous. And as a consequence of it being everywhere we turn, uh, we almost feel we have to sort of apologise for being men. And so the thought that we are actually going to become more determinedly ma- manly, more consciously uh, take our authority and our leadership, is really going the opposite direction to the tide. And, and it would be very easy to feel guilty. Uh, and so I think that that's a, a very real impediment in our culture. And it's also a very real impediment for the women in our culture. I don't know that many of the really beautiful and godly women that we have in our culture realize just how far they've moved toward a, an anti-male mentality without them realizing it. They've, mm. just, they've just embraced that. Having traveled as far as I have, I have been at places where uh, I am just blown away by the, the, the sweetness and the, the um, humility and the submission in the, 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 the culture. I won't mention countries and, and, and cultures, but I, I've been in several where it, I've been so humbled to have uh, women coming up to me and saying, I don't think I honor my husband enough. Pastor Chris, what can I do to honor my husband more? I don't get that Australian or New Zealand, American, English women asking me that question. Mm. Their question is, how can I get my husband to stop annoying me? is more their question, which is the feminist posture. Mm -hmm. The male is somehow to be reined in and subjected Mm -hmm. to what I know to be better, my my wisdom, my plans, my my thoughts. That kind of underlying culture uh, in the mind of of our our whole society means when a man stands up and says, hey, I believe I need to be leading in this situation, well, they're almost asking to have something thrown at them. So all of that... uh, makes the journey even more difficult. Yeah, so, I mean, I think you mentioned there's a few other things as well. We have, a, we have an identity crisis because, because of this changing culture. In one generation, John Wayne is the ideal man. The next one, it's, it's Steve McQueen. The next one, it's Archie Bunker. The next one, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's one of the nerds. And the next one, it's, um, you know, it's a great athlete. So hmm. if we've got this culture defining what, it is to be a man, and that's ever changing. Then, as we move through our life, do, do we have the problem where we start to question whether we really are a man or not? Whether we've whether we've actually reached it because the, the goalposts keep shifting on us. Mm-hmm. And I think there's two ways to resolve that. Um, and maybe because uh, we probably have to wrap up a little bit soon, let, let me maybe make a couple of comments that might be helpful to people. One, the Bible clearly defines manhood. And if we ignore the entire cultural, the plethora of cultural signals and look at what God's saying and seek to be Christ-like and in our manliness to actually be the kind of man that God calls us to be, I think that's incredibly important. The other comment that I think is really important to make is to all of the men listening, and let me just pause before I say it, I think this is really important, you are the model of a man. I think most men carry the question in their mind, have I made it? Am I a man? A- am I a worthy example of a man? I tell you what, if, if God caused you to be born on the planet as a man, you are a man. 
and it, it doesn't matter whether you've got whiskers on your chin uh, or whether you've got, you, you can't grow any whiskers at all. That's irrelevant. It doesn't matter whether you've got muscles or whether you actually have to be wheeled around in a wheelchair. You are a man because God made you into a man. And in all our shapes and sizes, skinny, fat, short, tall, uh, nerdy or, or athletic or talented or, or clumsy, we are men. And that we need to just accept the fact that that w- with our range of, of talents and limitations, there are some things we can and can't do within the scope of human endeavor, but we are men nonetheless. And I, you could, I should be able to just point out to any 18-year-old, 26-year-old, 52-year-old, 94-year-old man anywhere and say, there is a man. And I want the men that are listening here to hear me say this, you are a man. Stop trying to be one. You are already a man. Now, direct the shape of your manhood to reflect Christ and the biblical description of what a man should be. But whether you get there well or whether you struggle to get there, nonetheless, you are 100% bona fide man. Gee, I should have an altar call right now. What do you think? (laughs) Okay, that's awesome. All right. So I didn't actually mention this at the start, but we're actually going to split this into two parts. So this is part one, and uh, we've talked about yeah, a little bit of the natural horizons, I guess, and uh, a little bit of time on the intro. And then in part two, we're going to explore that concept a little bit more about what God says a man is. What is it that, that he lays out uh, for us? Because he doesn't leave us just stumbling in the dark on this, and... Um, and Chris, in your book, you talk about Job and his experience and that. Well, so we'll unpack that a little bit. That'd be great. So do come back and join us for part two as we go through Manhood Horizons. This has been fun. It's been great. I uh, hope you've enjoyed it and we'll be back soon. Thanks for listening to the Real Talk for Real Men podcast at www.realmen247.org.